0: This is the New York City Cast with Will Hill, presented by Bet Rivers.
2: What is up, New York City Cast, Bet Rivers Sportsbook? A Tuesday show for you today. Jake Fisher of Bleacher Report is going to join us. He did a great piece on the Nets Harding deal. Uh, great behind the scenes piece. If you want to check that out, it's at Bleacher Report. Really uh, some good sources. He was one of the first ones to kind of. Be on top of it and say a deal was going to go down so you know he's got great uh, great connections great sources he uh ha- has a lot of intel so uh we're going to have him on talk about the Harden trade what it means for the nets and just kind of delve into uh the inner workings of uh, how it went down and what kind of started the tension between durant hard and kyrie so looking forward to that uh, still have a few days before we get back to basketball in terms of the nba uh, All-Star weekend, and, and this is kind of a problem with the NBA, where so much of the NBA news cycle is not even on the court. It's not even the games. A couple examples this weekend. Uh, LeBron, who can get ornery as we know. He can get very passive-aggressive. Uh, he made a couple different comments that were interesting. He said that uh, you know he wouldn't rule out coming back to Cleveland. Uh, he wants to play with his son at some point. Uh, that money wouldn't matter. So that was one little salvo at the Lakers. Also made some comments about Sam Presti, the Thunders GM, and just went on and on. Gave this, this long soliloquy about what a great job he's done. What a great, you know, evaluator of talent he is. Kind of a wink-wink a at his own guy who he, apparently he's not happy with over the Westbrook deal, which, look, they're not trading for Westbrook without LeBron. Uh, so, I mean, part of that's on LeBron. I guess LeBron wanted them to do something at the deadline. Polinka didn't want to double down on a bad move. So, uh, always some, you know... Uh, extracurricular activities in terms of the NBA, LeBron not happy when his team's in ninth place. And, you know, I, I don't blame him in one sense, but you know, part of it's on him, but uh, the one locally that's interesting is with the Knicks. And that is the report that William Wesley, the executive vice president for the Knicks, also known as worldwide West uh, reportedly, you know, has point, pointed the finger at Thibodeau. He's the blame guy. He's you know kind of the scapegoat here. And, Uh, You know, I just don't see, I don't think Thibodeau's done a great job. I don't think he's a great coach, but I mean, he took this team that's very mediocre, this roster that's very mediocre, somehow got him to the four seed last year. Did they overachieve? Absolutely they overachieved. Uh, But the idea that they weren't going to come back to the pack this year, I I don't know what you're thinking. I don't know how you could blame Thibodeau. I don't care who coaches this team. Uh, I mean, you could get Phil Jackson, you could dig up Red Auerbach, whoever was coaching this team. I mean, what do you think they're going to the conference finals? Do you think they're going to the finals? This team is very average. Uh, you know, I, again, I, I think you could probably quibble uh, with some of the rotations. Maybe you should play Toppin more. You should play quickly more. You should play the young guys. Yeah, yeah, I'll give you that. I'll buy that. But again, if you're gonna play quickly, you're gonna play Toppin. I mean, what are you gonna be the go to the Eastern Conference Finals? Where you're gonna be, you know, 60 and 22 if you play Top Toppin more. I I just don't buy it. You know what I think is. You know, they have 9 or 10 just kind of mediocre players. So people talk about the starters being bad. It's like, no, the, the starters are mediocre. They're just not doing as well because they're going against other starters. You bring in the bench guys, they're going against other bench guys. So you kind of have 9 or 10 equal parts. Uh, and, and that's why you got the team you have here with the Knicks. You know what it's like? It, it, it's like in baseball if you had 8 or nine fourth or 5th starters in terms of pitchers. You know, you don't have a pitching rotation with an ace. You don't have a pitching rotation with a number 2. Uh, you know, Randall's taking a big step back. You got a bunch of, you know, fourth, fifth back of the rotation starters. Now they're major league starters. They're good enough to eat innings. Uh, and you got a bunch of them, but that's kind of the Knicks right now. The Knicks are just a a bunch of mediocre players. I, you know, I, I don't buy the idea that Thibodeau uh, is to blame, that Thibodeau is holding this team back again. You could play Reddish more. You probably should. Uh, that's probably annoying the front office. That's annoying the fans, but you know, I just don't buy the idea that this is some great roster that Thibodeau is holding down, but uh, anytime there's leaks that there's going to be a blame, uh, that there's a scapegoat when you start to play the blame game, that gives you the sense that uh, if you're searching for a scapegoat, you're probably going to find one. You're probably going to point the finger at somebody. Somebody's going to pay the price. Again, I have a hard time putting this on Thibodeau. Uh, my guess is, my senses, they give him another year, but it sounded like he could be on the hop seat, w- whether that's fair or not. And Uh, That brings us to the next thing, which is, I don't know if you guys saw this, but Zion Williamson, uh, the Pelicans sent out, uh, I think it was for season tickets for next year. And they mentioned Ingram. They mentioned McCollum. uh, They mentioned a couple different guys. They very noticeably left Zion off of that list, which gets people talking, gets people thinking that, you know, maybe they're just not, maybe they're ready to say, you know what, let's cash in Zion for even if it's 50 cents, 75 cents on the dollar you know, we're tired of playing the waiting game. We're tired of making our fans wait, giving our fans false hope. Let's just get a couple, you know, known commodities, picks, whatever it is. We can't get this guy in the court. You know, he's basically not even playing. I mean, he's he's in his third year now, and he, he basically never plays, uh, never plays. So maybe it's just a point where there's some tension between uh, Williamson and the organization, and you just kind of cash in the chips, which brings in the Knicks. Which brings in the Knicks. We know how they operate. Uh, we know how they've operated in the past. They get impatient. They have an itchy trigger finger. They've had a bad year. Uh, they've they got a coach here who wants to win now. They've got a front office who, you know, it seems like they got their the, the right idea in terms of building for the future. But, again, that can change very quickly. They spent a lot of foolish money this past offseason on whether it was Fournier, Kemba Walker. Uh, you know, None of those guys have really panned out. I mean, would you be shocked if you see a scenario this summer where the Knicks put together, you know, three or four first-round picks, three or four pick swaps, some of these young players, and try to bring Zion in here? You know, you got Barrett on the team, who was his teammate in college. You got Reddish, who was his teammate in college. Would you be shocked uh, if they put together – I mean, you can't put together like an Anthony Davis-type package, but could you put together, you know, half that, like I said, four or five combination of picks, pick swaps, and go all in for Zion? I wouldn't be shocked. I wouldn't be shocked and uh, man I don't know if I'd be against it but that would make me very nervous with with Zion's weight with his inability to stay on the floor. Uh boy that's a dangerous guy to kind of go all in on, all in on but uh you know if you're the Knicks you need a star. You need to start at some point and you know who knows if you're going to get lucky in the draft. Uh it's one strategy to sit here and wait for the next unhappy superstar. Maybe you can put Zion in that class but Like we've talked about in the past, I mean, you just go around the league in terms of the superstars in the league, whether it's Jokic, Luka Doncic, uh, John Morant. A lot of these guys are younger. They're signed long-term. You know, maybe Mitchell becomes available in Utah. Again, is Mitchell somebody? I mean, you love to have him, but is that somebody who's your, you know, a number one guy that you can build a championship team around? I'm not sure. I'm not sure, but I I do think the Knicks will be tempted uh, by Zion. That's a fascinating... Uh, really discussion because on one hand, you know, look, Embiid had a hard time getting on the court his first two, three years and it was like, all right, is this ever going to happen? And uh, again, it hasn't been perfect. He's missed a lot of chunks of a lot of seasons, but he's been great. I mean, he's been an all-NBA level performer so maybe he gets Zion on a different conditioning program. Maybe he's kind of sees the light and says, you know what, if I don't get in better shape, I'm never going to get on the court. I'm not going to have a career. And he goes on to have a 10-12 year, you know, Hall of Fame career. Is that impossible? It's really not, but uh, it's definitely a fascinating conversation if you're the Knicks who, like I said, I mean, if you're blaming Thibodeau for this roster, you're just, you're kind of naive to the lack of talent. Again, Emmanuel Quickly and Toppin and, you know, Grimes, they got some nice players. They got eight or nine okay players, but uh, okay is just okay. Okay is not good enough. And especially when you look at the East, the East is much better. I mean, the Bucks are the champs. Uh, the Nets basically came into the year with a super team. Didn't work out, but they still have, I mean, Durant. They have, you know, Simmons and a bunch of shooters with Durant. That's still a, a really good roster. The Cavs have come on. The, Raptor, the Raptors are well run. Celtics still have Brown and Tatum. The East is pretty good. The East is pretty good. The East is deep. Uh, for a long, long time, it was the West and a big drop-off with the East. Not that there wasn't any great teams in the East, but, I, you know, for a lot of years, it was – six or seven of like the eight or nine ten best teams in the league were in the west that's not really the case anymore the bottom of the west is kind of weak uh the east is pretty damn good uh, i mean the heat who a lot of people don't really talk about are are incredibly good consistent deep um you know philly's got him beating hard and you just go down the line the east is very good and if you're the knicks i mean what do you really have and barrett's a nice player maybe he can make an all-star team at some point but Uh, You don't have that A plus blue chip guy that you can just kind of hang your hat on. When you know the NBA, that's the the end of the day. That's what it is in the NBA. It's about a superstar. It's you know to go back to the baseball comparison. It's like having an ace. You you need that guy. You can start on opening day. You need that guy like Degrom that you can give the ball to game one of a playoff series. That's that's the name of the game in the NBA. It's having a great great player. Uh, You know that's how you win championships and. That's how you compete for championships, having a top three, top five, even top ten player. And the Knicks don't have anything close to that. So I understand the appeal, the allure of going after Zion. Uh, You know, it's a a fascinating, fascinating, really, uh, proposal here to to think of the idea of, you know, could we really go all in and, and get Zion for four or five picks and some of these young guys? It's dangerous, it's risky, but... Uh, it's at least worth thinking about. And again, it's hard for me to say yes or say no without seeing the price. To me, this is price sensitive because I can't bring Zion in and just have him be by himself and say, all right, I got Zion, I'm all set. I mean, again, him staying on the court's an issue. Him with Thibodeau's an issue because even if Thibodeau's still here, I mean, Thibodeau's got a habit of playing these guys and running them into the ground. Between Thibodeau's style of running guys into the ground and Zion's inability to stay on the court, that could be bad. I mean, he, he'd be hurt basically you know, by Halloween. Uh, with the way, you know, Thibodeau's uh, habit of just running these guys, playing them 40-plus minutes, and Zion's inability to stay on the court, that's a dangerous combination. But, uh, you know, the Knicks are desperate. The Knicks are desperate. They've had a bad year. They're starting to point fingers. The owner uh, is very moody. The owner is, is has a habit of, all right, things aren't going well. Let's throw $80 million at Phil Jackson. All right, let's throw picks at this guy. Let's... Let's go for the quick fix. And that's that's a dangerous way to do it. That's a very dangerous way to do it. But again, I don't know where you're going for a superstar uh, if you're going to pass on Zion. But to me, it's worth a thought. It's risky, but it's definitely worth a thought. It's just uh, it's very price sensitive. If you're going to go all in and give up four or five picks and pick swaps and kind of cripple your franchise, there's a scenario where you you go all in. It doesn't work out. Those picks end up being really good. Uh, and you've just kind of stalled this progress you've made the past couple years where it feels like you know the last couple years they've stabilized the franchise they're in good hands uh and they are i feel like they're in pretty good hands even though they're not close to a title they're in pretty good hands going in the right direction but again that can be undone uh with one bad one impetuous trade and that's something i would worry about if i was a knicks fan so uh, a lot of the news again with the NBA, it's off, the, it's off the court. It's LeBron, you know, poking at his own GM. It's the Knicks guys pointing fingers at Thibodeau. Uh, Zion, will he become available? So it's almost a problem for the NBA. You know, you turn on some of these shows with the NBA, and it's never about basketball. It's never about X's and O's. Uh, not that I watch a lot of these studio shows, but you know, you turn on some of these football shows, they're talking about football. You know, they're talking about why Mahomes threw an interception. They're talking about, you know, is Aaron Donald and Von Miller going to get pressure on Burrow? They're talking football, and when you turn on these NBA shows, a lot of the NBA coverage is, you know, which superstars unhappy. It's the drama. It's, uh, you know, how does this guy's legacy match up? Who's better, LeBron or Jordan? It's a lot. It's a lot of non-basketball, and it's a lot of transactions, which, um, you know, I don't know what ramifications that has long term. I just. I do think that's a bit of a concern for the league, where the league's more about the transactions than the games. I, I feel like a lot of times people don't even watch the finals. A couple of weeks later, uh, free agency starts, and you know people get all excited for free agency and who's going where. And that's that's almost the main season. The finals are almost secondary to the transactions, which uh, is backwards because this the whole point. The, the point of this whole thing is to win a championship, to win in the playoffs, and. You know, I just don't know how much people watch games anymore, follow the games, talk about the games. To me, it's it's more about the transactions, and uh, I know I spend a, just just spend a few minutes talking about transactions, potential transactions. But I mean, we spend uh, a lot of time on the show talking about the games, the matchups, who's going to win, who's going to cover that kind of thing. So there's a balance. You can talk about both, but I, I do get concerned for the NBA's future here uh, that it's too transaction based. But speaking of transactions, we have Jake Fisher next of Bleacher Report. He's going to tell us all about the Harden trade, how it went down, why it went down, the relationship between Harden and Durant, and what the new look Nets look like with Simmons and the shooting around him. So let's talk with Jake Fisher. It's been a trip going to New Jersey to place your online sports bets, but those days are over. Legal online sports betting is now live in New York with BetRivers Sportsbook. Sign up right now. Download the BetRivers app or go to BetRivers.com. Get an account and start making your bets right here in New York. You even get up to a $250 match on your first deposit. That's BetRivers Sportsbook. Must be 21. Playable New York only. Gambling problem. Call 877-8HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. All right, we are back. New York City cast, Bet River Sportsbook. Uh, The book is Built to Lose, How the NBA's Tanking Era Changed the League Forever. The author is Jake Fisher, and uh, the reason we have Jake on is he wrote a great piece for Bleacher Report, who he also writes for, on what is the story of the league, which is uh, Harden, the Nets, who are the title favorite, 11-game losing streak, and uh, a lot to unpack. Jake, how's it going, man? Thanks for coming on.
1: I'm doing well. A little rundown from All Star Weekend, but happy to join you here today. How are you?
2: I'm good, man. Yeah, Cleveland can wear you out, man. That's uh, that's the party capital <laughs> of the world, Cleveland, Ohio. So, uh, you know, what happens in Cleveland stays in Cleveland, obviously. So, I won't <laughs> even get into what happened. I'm sure it was crazy. Uh, you know, I, I'm not not even sure where to start here with the Nets. Um, yeah, you know, I, I think of the office meme where I think it's Michael, Dwight, and Andy are all pointing one finger at the other two, and. That's kind of how I picture this durant Harden, kyrie thing. I think there's probably blame to go around everywhere except maybe for Durant. Uh, I guess my question would be, what started this? Would you say, uh, you know, I know you detailed San Diego training camp. Harden's not in shape. Durant realizes that. Is that kind of where the tension all started?
1: I think so. But also I think it's important to stress that this was the ultimate context of them not advancing that deep into the postseason last year and having injuries play a big factor and that detail that I that I kind of snuck in later down in the story about how Harden's um there was definitely a miscommunication I don't know exactly the particulars of what led to it but Harden ultimately missed um a treatment session one morning April 5th of last year that led to him re-aggravating that hamstring injury that ultimately kept him sidelined for a couple games against those Milwaukee Bucks in that semifinal series that you know, Kevin Durant's toe is on the line. Everyone famously remembers that. You know, if Harden's healthy, e- even if you know with his actual reality where he was not healthy, and and if Brooklyn were able to have advance, you know, they they probably would have gotten Kyrie Irving back. Harden would have been healthy. You know, if if the Nets go on and win the title, even you know we're not having this conversation right now. But that's the ultimate starting point, point. and I think it really started to then. Started to bubble beneath the surface once Harden did report to training camp that he was at, he was at shape.
2: Uh, I mean, obviously, Harden Durant played what three years together in OKC. Did they have a good relationship? What was their relationship like when, when they were at the Thunder?
1: I think so. From, from what I've been told, Harden looked up to Durant more so than he did to Russell Westbrook, and that Durant was obviously the guy, like Russ is an MVP in his own right. You know, many, many-time All-Star, one of the top 75 players of all time. But all three of these guys are. Um, but I think it, it's been pretty clearly communicated to me that Harden looked at Durant as that type of alpha scorer, that you know, that number one type of guy that he was always. Um, and it's that that's been a surprising dynamic in um, this current iteration of their relationship. I will say, you know. Durant ultimately kind of being a voice and allowing this deal to go down. I don't think – I also don't think necessarily Durant wasn't opposed to not paying Harden the money he wanted. And, and, and um, back in those OKC days, I, I think there may be, still be some lingering tensions beneath the surface about how that situation in Oklahoma City eventually um, unfolded and how Harden was always kind of the sixth man there. And they did not necessarily want to pay him to become the starting caliber player that he obviously became in Houston.
2: Yeah, um, I mean, the piece is great. Again, Bleacher Report, go check it out. Really well worth a read. I don't want to rehash all of it because I want you guys to read the piece. But (laughs) there's definitely some skepticism on Durant's end in terms of the injury with uh, Harden, the hamstring, the severity of it, which – I don't know. Do you think Durant would change his tune if you ask him now? Because to be fair, I think we were all, you know, kind of cynical. How hurt is Harden really, you know, uh, is it more he's he's hurt or is it more he's unhappy? But he has missed, what, four or five games he still hasn't played for Philly. Do you think that was kind of an unfair criticism or unfair skepticism from Durant?
1: Well, as I wrote in the piece, there definitely was some type of inflammation that the Nets found on an MRI for Harden's hamstring, which – you you go back to that detail like we've already spoken about last april they there were nets people who were afraid of that kind of situation rearing its ugly head and and repeating itself once again um but at the same time you know he was playing and playing pretty well until he shut it down and um you know i don't want to take credit necessarily for the transaction happening but it was the day after my first report at Leach report about Harden's growing interest in testing for agency and looking at Philadelphia um, and and how that was playing a factor in the Ben Simmons trade conversations Um, that very next day is when Harden stopped playing. Um, So this is an NBA where a lot of those situations aren't exactly coincidences.
2: Yeah. You were on top of it early. You were all over this trade, at least being in the works possibly happening. It's it's funny. Kind of, you know, the NBA nerds were more interested in, you know, the reporting of the trade almost as much as the trade with, you know, who had it first, who thought what, and uh, that that obviously got a lot of attention. Uh, And and you were on top of it. When did you really think this trade was going to actually happen? When were you convinced, all right, this is probably going through. I remember Woj tweeted that morning of the deadline, Mm -hmm. hey, Harden wants out, but he doesn't want you to know he wants out, which is really kind of a strange way of, uh, you know, I don't want to break up with you. I just don't want to be in this relationship anymore, that kind of thing. When did you know the trade was going down or think it was going down?
1: Yeah, you know, as I wrote later on at, at BR, that, that Kevin Durant, from what I've told, what I've been told, gave Sean Marks a call very early Thursday morning and said, "Let's get this deal done." And I think that is probably what um, ultimately uh, preceded that report that you just mentioned. Um, and, and you know, when that came out um and as i started talking to people thursday it definitely became clear that they were going to be talking about it and there was going to be and they were going to get to the finish line whether they actually crossed it or not they were going to get right to that final one yard line um i did not know it was going to happen until probably like one eastern time um because there there was so much ego involved you know i mean both sides the nets and philadelphia um, felt that they had leverage. And, and the Nets being that Ben Simmons was not presently playing games at that time. You could say the same thing about Harden, but, you know, he had he had at least played that year. He, he was at least named an all-star this season. Um, but Philly's saying, you know, he could just leave you this summer for nothing. We can talk to OKC and trade Tobias Harris and create cap space. So you might as well get this deal done now. Um, there was a lot of ego and, and, and posture going on on both sides where I was still skeptical up until the deal – was made that it was going to happen. But yes, Thursday morning, it became pretty clear that all sides were now motivated and, and, and seeing the elephant in the room and, and, and wanted to get it done.
2: Yeah, kind of a fascinating trade because Philly looks at the at the Nets and says, You know what, you're desperate. You're gonna lose this guy for nothing. That's their position. The Nets look at Philly and say, You're desperate. Your guy's not even playing. Our guy's, you know, is sulking. He maybe he's a pain. Maybe he's not in shape. Maybe he's disappearing every twenty minutes. But at least our guy has some interest in playing basketball. So kind of a fascinating dynamic where both of them are kinda of pointing at each other saying, You know what, you're the desperate one.
1: For sure. And I think ultimately you know, these are two very, very high profile organizations with very competitive and deep pocketed ownership groups and who have clear title championship aspirations when they're in the same division, they're going to potentially be running into each other in the playoffs and and the way that Harden's injury situation kind of tanked Brooklyn's record, like they could meet before the conference finals. So um first
2: round it's not impossible.
1: Exactly. And, you know, everyone in the league who I've spoken to about this dynamic in, in lead up to Thursday, all were very keen on cautioning that these types of superstar for superstar trades don't necessarily happen in season. A superstar being dealt for, you know, anything, any type of return doesn't necessarily happen too often in season. Um, so it, it, it definitely was unlikely to occur all along. But, you know, clearly all the motivations aligned at the right time.
2: Yeah, you go through all the trade deadline deals, and as much as we talk about the trade deadline, it gets a lot of attention. It's in kind of that dead period of February where not a lot's going on. I'm trying to think. Rashid Wallace got traded. That helped Detroit win a championship. Pau Gasol got traded. Now, they made the finals that year. They didn't win a championship, but they did win two the next year. You don't really get a lot of these titles that swing – or deals that swing You know who wins mm-hmm. the title uh, midseason.
1: Yeah, I think that there's more so deals like Jason Kidd going to Dallas – um, in that season in 2011 um, or just just those supplementary rotational pieces that, that, that give you that one more starter, that give you that, that bench score that you need. Those are typically the, the contender moves that ultimately play a real factor in, in the championship. We don't typically see these types of dramatic changes of events.
2: We're talking with Jake Fisher, Bleacher Report. The book is "Built to Lose: How the NBA's Tanking Era Changed the League Forever." Go out and buy that. Uh, wherever you buy books, it's a uh, fascinating read. We can get to that in a minute. Um, Thank you. Yeah, no problem, man. It's a uh, it's a great book. Tanking is a fascinating subject. Really, kind of popped up again with the Dolphins uh, recently. You know that kind of got lost in the allegations getting paid a hundred grand to lose games. But uh, you know, I, I do want to get back to Harden here. What's hard inside of this? If you gave him truth serum. Uh, you know, I heard Howard Beck the other day on another show saying he texted somebody close to Harden. And he said, "Hey, what's the deal here? Why is Harden, you know, not happy?" And he got a quick response, a one-word response, and that response was, "Kyrie." That's it. Mm-hmm. So, if he gave Harden truth serum here, what's you know what's Harden side of this? You think? You
1: no, know, he fell short in Houston and all these superstar parents, right? Dwight Howard, Chris Paul, Russell Westbrook, and as he became, you know, the MVP, this this dynamic all time scoring threat. And he would flame out in the postseason. I think that was ultimately go so pretty pretty much unanimously I mean, across the board. The league has kind of agreed that's been more so about fatigue rather than his inability to perform. So the Brooklyn opportunity was. I mean, and I, I was told. I know there's been conflicting reports, and James has said certain things. But what James said in his press conference in Philly that he had preferred to join the Sixers all along. I that is that checks out with what I have heard. Um, but. I think with Brooklyn, he saw an opportunity to to really kind of shoulder the load and that Kyrie and Kevin would be able to um, relieve him with some creation responsibilities, would be able to help. I mean, to get through a regular season and then a whole entire four-round playoff structure is is a pretty uh, daunting gauntlet. Um, So when you're in – Also, a championship environment where he is chasing his first championship. Kyrie and Kevin both have rings. Durant's got two. Harden was looking at Kyrie's ability or or willingness to to not get vaccinated, to then not play potentially home games in the playoffs as a dramatic threat to his chances to get that ring that is missing from his resume. And when Kevin Durant finally got hurt on January 15th, I believe the date was, um, with Kyrie not playing at home games, Harden was back in Brooklyn in a situation honestly worse than what he had left in Houston, being that he was alone with Joe Harris's hurt. It was pretty much him and Patty Mills and a bunch of role players. Not, not to you know pour water on uh, the rest of the Nets supporting cast, but you know the Marcus Aldridge and Blake Griffin are, are, are far beyond uh, their primes. Paul Millsap wasn't even getting playing time for them before he he, he got uh, included into that deal, so. Yes, Ky- Kyrie's situation played as much of a factor in uh, James Harden's dis- uh, dissatisfaction in Brooklyn as any.
2: Yeah, kind of not getting talked about a lot. I'm just going to ask you a pretty blunt question. What team is Kyrie Irving on next year?
1: You well, know, the answer could very likely be no team, to be honest. Um, it's the way he has conducted himself um, over the last year and a half, two years, has been uh, treacherous for his, his – future and break career and and to be honest I don't know if that's treacherous is even the right word being that he might not from things I've heard he might not necessarily want to continue playing he might want to focus on um being a voice for the voiceless as he said he wants to do and uh I mean to give him credit he has been very charitable and philanthropic in his efforts and trying to help his community and I think that's part of um that was, I was a, a big part of his calculus to go to the Nets, to go back to his hometown roots, to be able to create some impact in the New York metropolitan area. Um, but also on, on the basketball side of things, like they're definitely from, from my knowledge, they're definitely um, are people in Brooklyn who want to get out of the Kyrie Irving business and, and, and are unsure of how um, significant, uh, you know, a role he will play moving forward. But at the same time, his interest in going to the Nets played as big a role as any of, of Kevin Durant arriving in Brooklyn, and by all accounts, KD and Irving, KD and Harving, KD and, Ir- and Irving, excuse me, uh, remain super close. And as Durant continues to swing a big hammer in that franchise, if he wants Kyrie to be around, I, I would expect him to still be around in some capacity. But um, you're right; it's definitely a very fluid situation.
2: Yeah, I mean, you gotta wonder in a private moment, you know, Durant, if he's just driving by himself somewhere, he's thinking to himself, man, I had Curry, I had Clay Thompson, I had Draymond, you know what? I wasn't getting all the credit, but man, you, you leave that for what is such an unstable situation. It looked great last May; they're killing the Celtics, they're killing the Bucks, mm-hmm. and it all kind of unraveled. um Durant and Harden, just from a basketball fit standpoint, some of the, you know, the. The numbers, just those two, they didn't seem like they had great basketball chemistry. How much of this was, you know, on the court? It's always d- dangerous when you have two scorers, two kind of two guys who you know need the ball in their hands. How much of this was just not an ideal basketball fit?
1: Yeah, I talked to you know the several Brooklyn people I spoke to for over over the over all those weeks of that situation um, developing. The word off, the, the phrase offensive styles came up several times, and differing offensive styles, and to peel back that curtain a little bit, you know, Durant and Nash connected before they both spent time in Golden State. And the the Warriors brought Nash on as a consultant. Like, they definitely both KD and Nash subscribe to a free-flowing motion type of offense. And obviously, that's going to end up with the ball in KD's hands a lot. Um, But he wants it to be, you know, reportedly – he wants his shots to come in the flow of the scheme. And Harden very typically wants to operate out of the high pick and roll. And he wants to have a lob threat. And he wants to be putting pressure on the rim and having uh, kind of the whole offense bend around his will. So it definitely seems like that clash in styles played a big factor um, in them kind of uh, having a, a cold war, if you will. Like there was a quote in my story with Kyrie on, on the sidelines that kind of really allowed KD and Harden to butt heads in terms of offensive preference.
2: Yeah, it's interesting when you look at Harden and you kind of track his comments. He wants to be the guy, but he wants some help. He's kind of, he's a little bit all over the place, and we don't really get a feel. You know, you don't really know much about Harden. I mean, you know, he likes to go out, he likes to dribble, he likes to get to the foul line, but there's not a lot. I mean, I, I feel like we don't know a lot about Harden. He's kind of all over the place in t- terms of what he really wants.
1: Yeah, I think ultimately the fit between him and Joel Embiid is going to be. Very interesting. It's something that a lot of Sixers people I've spoken to have, have openly admitted that um, it's not exactly a perfect match made in heaven on paper in terms of their playing styles. But Embiid and Harden are at least, we, we know we know one thing about both those guys definitively, it's that they're both super driven by winning a championship and maybe they can just use each other to get that title and and, and that'll be that. Maybe, maybe that's all the connective tissue that they need.
2: Well, we know this. Harden and B, they're going to spend a lot of time at the free throw line because those guys, they know how to get their team into the bonus. Uh, You have to go just quickly one last one. How do you kind of stack up the East now? I mean, the Bucs are still the champs. Uh, Miami, Um, yeah, the, the Nets are going to look a lot different. The Sixers are going to look a lot different. The Heat are sitting there saying, hey, what about us? We're as good as anybody. Uh, You know, you got Simmons and a lot of shooters here with the Nets. How do you stack up, you know, these four teams here?
1: All those teams are strong contenders. You really have to also give the Cavaliers their respect, and the Chicago Bulls as well. Obviously, Chicago is dealing with a slew of injuries. Um, but you're right. My, Miami is a team that I'm really keeping an eye on, being that they've got a ton of veteran talent. They've got uh, pretty much all of their returning core from that group that made the 2020 finals. That Then you add P.J. Tucker and Kyle Lowry, who obviously won the title together in Toronto in 2019. Um There's a lot of firepower and and veteran experience, and Eric Spoelstra is one of the best coaches of all time, one of the only active coaches to win a title. Um, The Heat, I think, are as dangerous as any team in the Eastern Conference, and obviously their coaching staff is atop the conference to get to the the All-Star game this weekend. Um, They've got all the pieces to really make a strong run here and withstand all those top contenders that you mentioned.
2: Yeah, I'm dying to get through these 20 games because we didn't even mention Toronto, who's, you know, a pain in the neck to deal with. The Celtics have been playing really well. I mean, usually the you know, the playoffs, especially the East playoffs, there's a seven, you know, a seven two series is bad, a one-eight series is bad. Usually you get two or three that are just rollovers. It should be one through eight. And it, look, the Nets could be in the play, and they probably will be. So uh should be a fun playoffs. You know, can't wait for it to get here. Jake, thank you for coming on. Uh, Jake Fisher, Bleacher Report, check out his column. Buy his book, please. Built to lose how the NBA's Tanking Era changed the league forever. Uh, love to have you on again sometime. Appreciate you coming on. Appreciate it. Thanks, man.
1: For sure. Thank you for the hospitality, Will.
2: All right. That'll do it for the show. Thank you guys for listening. A little bit of a shorter show for you today. We've been giving you a lot of content. Some of these shows are going over an hour. Uh Again, you can listen to Jason Weingarten. We had him on yesterday, talked a lot of baseball. That one ended up going over an hour. Uh, Mike Sando last week on the NFL offseason, that one was over an hour. So we've been giving you a lot of work by listening. So kind of an easy day for you. Quick quick, uh, tidy little 30, 35-minute show as we rear up here. The next week or so, we'll finally get into March. And then before you know it, you know, Big East tournament, conference tournaments, selection show, March Madness. Uh, right into baseball, which, you know, that that two, three weeks after the Super Bowl into the start of March is always a a transition year, a transition time of the year where, you know, not a lot going on, baseball especially, uh, nothing cooking, NBA, just kind of uh, the stretch run of a long season, March Madness hasn't heated up yet, NFL offseason hasn't heated up yet, so uh, we'll kind of fill in the gaps in the next couple of weeks. We'll do a lot of NFL draft. We'll do obviously tournament once that starts to come around the corner, and we'll do plenty of baseball, plenty of NBA. So, thank you guys for listening. We'll be back Thursday. Thank you to Jake Fisher. Enjoyed that conversation. Uh, until then, appreciate it. Download, rate, subscribe, review, do all of that. Thank you to Bet Rivers. This is the New York City Cast presented by Bet Rivers Sportsbook.